Thanks for tuning in to Americana Music Profiles. It's Season 3, brought to you by Americana Rhythm Music Magazine in print and AmericanaMusicMagazine.com online. I'm your host, Greg Tutwiler. Let's join in on another great conversation with one of the Americana Music Industry's super talented artists. Former record store owner Mike Felton has parlayed the end of 30-plus years of selling vinyl into a singer-songwriter career full-time. He is my guest on this episode of Americana Music Profiles as we talk about his new CD, Diamonds and Televisions. Well, hi, Mike. Welcome to the podcast. It's uh, good to get a chance to talk to you today. Yeah, great. I'm glad to hear from you. <laughs> so you've, you've actually been, been at this quite a while. Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, when, you, when you stop and think about it, uh, <laughs> uh, basically... Uh, uh, if you want to go back, uh, really, my entire life, I've been involved in music some, some way, shape, or form. But uh, uh, you know, I did have a record store uh, uh, starting in 1979, uh, running for about 30 years. Uh, and in a couple states, we were online. Uh, I used to do uh, record shows, load up the car, and uh, we drove uh, everywhere, actually, from uh, Virginia to California to uh, Texas to uh, uh, Minnesota. <laughs> we, we've been everywhere. What was the What was the name of your store? Uh, it was the Record Emporium. Okay, yeah, that definitely uh, sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. Are, are uh, you doing any uh, of that at all anymore? Uh, no, not really. It's uh, uh, you know we closed the store. Uh, we had to be oh about two thousand eight, and we uh, went to a warehouse and did. We were exclusively online for a while, and uh, sold most of our inventory off. Uh, before the warehouse burned down. Oh, no. <laughs> so wow. uh, we were out of there by then, but yeah. uh, it was just like the uh, the, the place, uh, the building had been condemned, and uh, uh, we had been uh, uh, sharing space with a record company and a T-shirt company and all these uh, uh, bands, and uh, everybody had little offices there, and uh, one by one, they all went out of business, and I yeah. was... Uh, like the last one uh, in this whole warehouse, and uh, uh, they finally, uh, the city finally came and condemned the warehouse for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Maybe people had been there had been a different thing, but they kind of uh, let it fall into disrepair. Sure. And, yeah, uh, it was kind of like uh, The Shining. I'm sitting up there by myself <laughs> in this huge, huge warehouse. Kind of a, kind of a, a, a poetic. Um, ending not just to, to a business and a building, but a, an era as well. It sounds like there might be a song in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, well, they actually did a, uh, a documentary called Revinalized. A guy named uh, John Boston uh -huh. uh, did it, and uh, we were in there uh, along with a couple other uh, record stores that were still functioning at the time, and I don't think, uh, maybe one or two of them are still there, but... Uh, yeah, wow. Uh, you can get that online twenty twenty minutes on YouTube. So okay, well that's you that's see a, what I look like. Sure, yeah. Well, that's a nice nice side trail. Of course, you know, uh, there's a. I'm not sure we can call it a revitalization, but there's certainly a renewed interest in in vinyl, and uh, I, I'd love to see it uh, be something that comes back and stays. I'm I'm afraid it's a it's a fad, but it's nice to at least to hear people talk about it again. Yeah, I know. I'm going to a a record convention on Sunday. Uh, about my second one since I I've I quit, but I've been enjoying uh, playing music. Uh, you know, as far as playing uh, old albums and uh, CDs lately. 
Yeah. Uh, that I have, uh, I have thousands and thousands of things that uh, I'm rediscovering and never had the time to uh, uh, spend with them, but I do now. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we, we're obviously not uh, not on the call to necessarily talk about uh, the record business, but but you've been in the business on in other fashions for for uh, perhaps quite as long uh, as a, as a musician and entertainer. Tell me about that side of your life and how you got involved in and in, uh, becoming a musician. Uh, well, uh, uh, way back in the sixties, I think that's a, that's a long time ago, but. Uh, <laughs> Took my first uh, guitar lessons at the Old Town School of Folk Music in Chicago. Uh, at a previous location, not the new one, there was a second floor walk up, and uh, uh, some of the guys that had founded uh, uh, were still there. And uh, I know um, it was, uh, you know, I was kind of a, a kid from the, the north side of Chicago and going down uh, and seeing these. Uh, Bohemian ladies in their black dresses, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of uh, the ex Beatnik uh, era. Yeah, uh, it was kind of eye opening for me. But uh, as always, uh, kind of got to be a fan of uh, Woody Guthrie and all the old folky guys, and uh, uh, I learned all those uh, uh, songs from there. And of course, it was uh, rock and roll, and you wanted something electric. Mm-hmm. And I got into rock bands and. Uh, uh, 65, 66, and uh, I was just uh, playing around with uh, the song Hey Joe uh, because I was doing that before Jimi Hendrix got a hold of it. Uh, wow, that's uh, cool. That group called uh, The Leaves had it, and uh, Love had it, uh, had it out. It was a little up-tempo. Uh, so, uh, um, so we got into rock bands. I was uh, with a band called the Bogus Risque Weeds <laughs> for, for a couple of years. Uh, but uh, got into uh, playing solo uh, across from the Old Town School. There was a place called uh, the Fifth Peg where uh, guys like Steve Goodman and uh, John Prine and uh, you used to just wander in and uh, play an open mic, and I used to do those. And, That's cool. Uh, we used to do a... Uh, a couple open mics uh, on Tuesday nights, I remember, do, do about three of them, uh, go down to Orphans. There's a place called the Saddle Club, but uh, um, just uh, started with that. Uh, uh, always was interested in the blues, uh, 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 kind of uh, oh, uh, put on a uh, probably the first outdoor uh, music festival in Chicago, uh, uh, when I was in junior college, I'd had to be about 70, mm. uh, 71, and uh, we had uh, Buddy Guy and Junior Wells play, and uh, uh, we got to meet, uh, we, all, we actually went to Muddy Waters' house, because he was that accessible at that time, he could just uh, yeah, call cool. up and go over and visit, and uh, huh. uh, he had been in a car wreck and had a broken leg at the time, so... Uh, uh, he couldn't get away from us, so he uh, <laughs> uh, he called a buddy guy to get rid of us. And uh, buddy took us to a couple blues clubs, and uh, uh, that, that was a, a night I always remember. We go to a, uh, a club I forget which one it was, but uh, 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 Willie Dixon was there and Junior Wells, oh, cool. and uh, it was just, just like everybody who was everybody. Yeah, <laughs> just sitting around on a Tuesday night, but uh, but I did play in. Uh, uh, some blues bands. Uh, 
Uh, when I got married in '76, uh, we uh, we uh, went back to the land like a lot of people did, and uh, uh, I played in cover bands for a long time up there, and uh, did some of the folk festivals, uh, uh, Hiawatha, uh, uh-huh. Rhinelander, uh, Pike Lake, uh, doing a lot of those up there. But uh, uh, the cover bands paid the bills. We uh, we were playing uh, uh, seven days a week. Uh, four hours a day and six hours on Sunday and wow. kind of learn your chops from doing that. Sure, but, uh, yeah. Um, when I got back to Chicago, it was kind of exclusively, uh, uh, well, it wasn't exclusively, it was blues bands and uh, I found myself in a heavy metal band playing bass for, <laughs> for, for a short time called uh, Lobotomy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was fun and uh, I'm still in contact with those guys and they're, they're on to different things. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, so I've always had a hand in, uh, about, uh, 2003, uh, uh, ran into some people. I had a recording studio and I had a bunch of songs and, uh, uh, Acme Recording was uh, a couple blocks away from one of our stores. Uh-huh. Uh, so I wound up, uh, going in there after hours and recording, uh, uh my first, uh, uh, CD called Landfill. And that was uh, kind of a uh, learning experience, uh, uh-huh. uh, but uh, that was in uh, 2003, and uh, I've been working on albums ever since. Uh, uh, we're, uh, this new one, uh, Diamonds and Televisions, will be, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, uh, about the fifth, fifth one, uh, uh, the fourth one I actually recorded in the studio, but uh, there was a, a live, uh, live one called No Second Rides. So there have been four studio albums and one live one. Uh, as maybe by the time you uh, uh, you get this in print or on the air, I'll have uh, a couple of uh, outtake uh, collections okay. I'll do that that will be available online. Okay. But, uh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm working on the next one. <laughs> so, sure. Yeah. Good. So how how did the how did the record store come into play? for you along the way how, how did you get involved in that uh well when i uh, moved up to the upper peninsula uh you know uh, it was pretty uh dire circumstances up there the uh the mines had just closed and uh, everybody was out of work it was like 20 percent unemployment and uh trying to find a, a job was pretty tough uh so i, I started bartending okay and from bartending, it kind of grew into uh, uh, being a, a kind of a booker, part owner of uh-huh. a, a little club up there. And, of course, started sitting in with the bands. And uh, one day a guy came came in that was a, what they used to call rat jobbers. He used to put in uh, all the, the KTEL records in right. the uh, grocery stores. And uh, he serviced those, and I started working with him. Okay. And from that, uh, you know, I bought uh, some record racks from uh, Montgomery Ward store in Marquette and stored <laughs> those and uh, yeah. got ready and opened up a little 700-square-foot store in Iron Mountain, Michigan. So that's, that's how the record store started, yeah, and that yeah. just kind of grew from there. But uh, yeah, that was a, uh unusual uh, unusual trip. It was kind of tough. You know, of course, everybody's out of work. Sure. But uh, everything was kind of cheap too, and you could uh, make mistakes. And uh, yeah, 
uh, playing music was always uh, actually a paying uh, proposition. <laughs> <laughs> so that all, always helped. And well, we had two kids, and uh, my wife's uh, a nurse, so uh, uh, we kind of uh, carved out a living up there for uh, about a dozen years. So you're pretty much a, a music lifer, then. It's it's never uh, been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, it's funny. They, people ask you, know, "What was your first concert?" And uh, I think I uh, my first one that I can remember anyway was uh, uh, Dick Clark's Caravan of Stars. Oh yeah, okay. And uh, at the International Amphitheater in Chicago, and I went with uh, my babysitter that was supposed to take care <laughs> of me, uh, put me on the back of a motorcycle, and we oh went my gosh. we That's went funny. down. Uh, <laughs> Uh, down to see uh, Danny and the Juniors. That's who I yeah. remember it anyway. But, yeah, wow. But it's been a long, long time. <laughs> when when and, did uh, um, songwriting uh, become part of the life for you as well? Boy, that, that's even hard to pinpoint. I was always, uh, I know I've written stuff that uh, when I was seven years old, stories and whatever. So I was always writing stuff. Uh, songwriting just came with... Uh, with the guitar in the, in the, the mid '60s, because uh, you know you had Bob Dylan and all those people I right. started admiring and uh, uh, wanted to do what they were doing. And uh, I think even now I have a whole genre of, uh, of people that have watched me play and uh, think that well, if that guy can do it, I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole subset of uh, performers in Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> But, do, uh, do you um, do you start with the with uh, the lyric, the idea, or do you start with the melody? How how does that process begin for you? Well, you know, I've always been a word guy, uh-huh. uh, so it would start with lyrics. But uh, uh, the more I play and uh, sit here and doodle around with the guitar, you know, you hear a lick and uh, you kind of incorporate that. Um, a lot of my songs, when I start doing them, they're very different than uh, uh, the way they wind up on record. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, even even the, uh, before the band comes in, but uh, uh, they kind of grow and phrases get uh, uh, sharpened and uh, uh, licks start getting thrown in there and you start bringing bridges and sometimes uh, bridges and choruses from other places start showing up. Right. And, uh, uh, but uh, it's uh, kind of honed through performance. Okay. And, uh, you know, people like something, and you continue to do that sure. and kind of work work through that. But it, I, I would guess yeah, 80% of them probably start with uh, lyrics, but uh, uh, kind of get groove-oriented after a while. So. All right. Do you do... Um do you do some writing for, for other musicians as well, or is this predominantly just for your own purposes? Uh, basically, you know, I've... Uh, uh, basically, just my stuff. Uh, this new record has a, uh, uh, a bunch of... Uh, well, one song is called Seven, uh, Seven Days a Week that the lyrics were written by a guy named Bob Frank out of California. Mm-hmm. It was... Uh, he was recorded by Jim Dickinson in the 70s, uh, and he's been at it for a long, long time, too. But he just sent me uh, 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 these uh, lyrics, and uh, so I had approached it from a totally different way, different challenge. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, usually people come up with their uh, melody and want me to put words to it. Uh, but, yeah, I would do that. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, sure, okay. That, 
that's kind of easy, but uh, the other way is kind of, oh, <laughs> we'll see what we can do with this, try and, try and make it fit and yeah. try and get after uh, what he was after. So. Sure, yeah. Well, I, I was reading over some of the um, notes that you sent over, and, and this um, this phrase popped out at me, and I think um, uh, yeah, maybe it was your guitarist that, that suggested this, or maybe someone in the studio, but that your music... Uh, they called it Outsider Americana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know we were, with this album in particular, I'm just sitting listening to it, and it's uh, kind of a, a diversity of, uh, you know, the first couple albums, I you could listen to it, and, well, this is a blues song, this is a rock song, this is maybe even a jazz song, this uh-huh. is a country song, but uh, I was just listening to it, and I blurted it out, I said, what kind of music is this? <laughs> and he came up with outsider Americana. I said, "Well, I guess that's as good a phrase as any." Did, did you make him tell you what that meant? <laughs> uh, well, I, I kind of understood. I guess you know, but, uh, if uh, you're familiar with uh, the artist uh, Howard Fincher, I think his name is, uh-huh. but he was uh, kind of the outside uh, outsider artist, and uh, 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 I think he's down in uh, Tennessee, somewhere down there, with the. All these uh, sculptures outside uh, okay. of the things he just threw together, and uh, you know where does this fit? And uh, the thing is, you know, you, you just make it fit. You know, where did Bob Dylan fit? Sure, in yeah. When he started, you, you know, he, he wasn't exactly somebody that uh, was going to rival Perry Como or somebody. Yeah, else. So, yeah. Uh, he just did what he had to do, and he did. He became Bob Dylan. Yeah, and, uh, right. Uh, that's kind of what I'm after. So, if sure. it's outsider Americana or. I don't know, uh, Irving Berlin, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, Americana has kind of become this huge umbrella where if your music doesn't fit anywhere else, you'll just slide it under the Americana umbrella because that's where everything else fits. And, and it just really caught me funny when it said outsider Americana. And um, I was thinking, well, okay, so now maybe we're creating a new genre. Even. <laughs> so if you can't fit under that umbrella, we've got this other one called outside Americana. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's that's cool. Uh, you know, uh, I was uh, using roots for a while too. And what what is that? You know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, we, of course, uh, you know, we were born and raised in the United States, so I don't know. It's just, uh, you can't say it's not the United States music. You right. Say it's, uh, yeah. It's not roots. Uh, so what? How do you define this? Sure. Yeah. Well, and and of course we're you know we want to talk about the the new CD diamonds and televisions and you tell a story um, in the notes about um, how the title of that came to be. I, I wanted to I wanted you to retell that for us because I thought that was so cool. Okay, well you know just uh, a lot of times uh, you know I have working titles and uh, sometimes they turn out to be the title, but uh, this one uh, was kind of. Uh, you know, a collection I called number five for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, it didn't really have a title, but uh, uh, well, I was down in Shawnee, Oklahoma, uh, uh, with a couple of my good friends down there, and they wanted to take me to a, a place called the Hamburger King, which uh, was a, a hamburger restaurant that was had been there since the twenties uh-huh. in downtown Shawnee. And uh, it's a cool little place where you sit in the booth and you, you pick up an old rotary dial phone and phone in your order huh. for the waitress and she brings it by for you. <laughs> uh, 
and it was a pretty cool, cool little place, and I, I really enjoyed it. But right across the street, there was a, a couple of abandoned buildings, and uh, uh, one of them I know they uh, advertised they would uh, take your uh, pelt in, I guess, whatever you killed, you could bring your, ah, your okay. pelt in and right. trade it for something. But next to it, there was an old pawn shop, and uh, and he covered the bases with that, with uh, diamonds and televisions, cameras and stereos. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, that, that's kind of like my collective song here. Yeah. And we did, did take a couple pictures of it with the cell phone, and it uh, didn't quite work for the title, but uh, I passed them along to... Uh, uh, a friend who's uh, not related, but his name is Luke Felton, F-E-L-T-O-N, opposed to my E-N, uh-huh. uh, and he did a, a, a great cover for me. Yeah, that's cool. So, uh, I, I that's love that story. how that came about, <laughs> and it stuck, and it, it seems to fit quite a bit. Yeah. So tell me some more about the CD itself, and, and um, uh, what what's your... It, it, looking at some of the names of the songs, uh, maybe it was intentional, but some, knowing that story... It's almost like, well, maybe you're going to tell some stories about some people who might have shopped at that pawn shop. <laughs> well, you know, uh, a lot of my uh, whole performances uh, is stories, uh, and uh, I, you know, I do pick up. I'm kind of a history buff too. Uh, you know, I work at the. Uh, I've been volunteering at the Chicago History Museum for eight years. Oh, cool. I do a thing on Native Americans for the Field Museum. Uh, but uh, I'm uh, kind of aware of what's gone before, and uh, uh, you know some of these phrases that people come up with uh, in diners and wherever I am. Uh, I kind of have a way to make it into my uh, my stage show and kind of make it into uh, the CDs. Um, but uh, one of them on here is Emma's house, where I just happened to find out uh, that. Uh, a house in old neighborhood where I used to live, uh, mm-hmm. actually uh, on the second floor, I believe it was, was uh, Emma Goldman, the old anarchist, had lived there for a while. Hmm. And uh, I thought, wow, you know, I walked by this place forever and never even thought about this. Right. But, uh, uh, we went out there and uh, stood there and took a look at it. And as I was thinking about uh, Emma Goldman, uh, uh, she was actually arrested in that apartment because uh, 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 a man had listened to her and uh, uh, had uh, assassinated the, the president. Wow. And uh, so they hauled her in, couldn't tie her to that, but uh, uh, they did deport her. And uh, they never came, uh, never let her back in the country until after she was dead. Mm. And they took her ashes and buried them here. Mm. But... Uh, I mean, it's just things that you walk by every day, and you can never, ever, uh, n- never imagine this until you actually yeah. knew the story, story behind that. Yeah. And uh, you know, the third verse is kind of uh, disjointed in that one because it's uh, as I was standing there, I met a met an old girlfriend who had uh, well, I hadn't seen in a long time, but uh, hmm. uh, she had uh, been living with a guy that keeps uh, uh, um, hitting her. And uh, she had her uh, her uh, blackened eye at the time. Oh, which, gosh. Uh, kind of tied into Emma Goldman and uh, the whole uh, current history with past history and uh, yeah. where are we going with all, all of this. You know? Yeah. So, um, so that, that kind of became a 
came out a story there, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, I don't know. There's uh, we can go through one by one. I can tell you a story about everything, just about. But uh, when you're just, when you're performing, do you do you tell do you set it up? Do you tell the story before you do the song? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I, okay. I do that. You know, it depends. Uh, uh, you know, I play so many places that there are. Uh, places where it's not conducive to telling stories, just sit up there and play. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I play a lot of, uh, uh, you know, neighborhood bars, and these guys don't want you to be talking, they want you to just play the music, you Yeah, know? yeah. Uh, sometimes you want to dance, and uh, sometimes you want to listen. Yeah, but, uh, right. Preferably, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I tell them the longer I talk, the less I play, and that, uh, right. that might benefit you. <laughs> What what is uh what's a full schedule these days look like for you playing music? Oh well, I do uh, I do between sixty and hundred gigs a year. Okay, uh, uh, getting to be more and more. I know I told somebody that, and so I do uh, two hundred and eighty or something. <laughs> so I guess I could do more, but uh, I do. Uh, oh, uh, I have a couple of residencies. Uh, uh, where I play once a month, a place called Phyllis's Musical Lounge mm-hmm. that uh, has been around, has been around for forever. Uh, uh, Dean Autry used to busk outside, and uh, mm. Nelson Algren used to live upstairs. That's and, cool. uh, uh, everybody who's anybody in Chicago uh, had probably played there at one point or another. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, kind of a starter bar, but it's uh, a fun bar, and I, I yeah. kind of like that. Yeah. And then I do a coffee house uh, gig, the Buzz Cafe in Oak Park, where I just uh, sit on my stool uh, with the guitar, no amplification, and go through all these songs and stories and uh, uh, work things out. But I do play uh, 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 a whole lot of different places. I play rock clubs. I play punk clubs. uh, I'll do farmer's markets. uh, um, They have Make Music Chicago, where you play different areas in Chicago. Under the bridge and at the beach and mm-hmm. at the zoo and mm-hmm. uh, any kind of club, any kind of restaurant. But uh, um, I just uh, enjoy getting out and playing before an audience and uh, most anywhere I'll do. <laughs> are, you, are you predominantly still regional or are you doing some national touring as well? Are you going to hit some festivals? Do you do that kind of work as well? Uh, well, yeah, I do uh, uh, basically through the Midwest. Uh, I know I'll be going to Detroit this year. They have a thing called the Assembly Line Concert. Mm-hmm. Uh, that They've done four different things. It's the longest. Uh, um, uh, they've been in the Guinness World Record for the, the longest continuous concert. It, it goes for like uh, uh, three, four weeks wow. uh, around the clock. And I've done four of those. Originally it started uh, when Detroit was really uh, in dire straits. Uh, uh, with the auto industry, and uh, Ford would bring their cars, and GM would bring their cars, Chrysler would show up, the UAW would be there, uh, the governor would show up, and it was kind of a, a celebration of what Detroit was and what it could be. And as things turned, it, uh, the concerts kind of turned, too. Mm. Uh, this one seems uh, kind of uh, political, uh, and uh, where they want Detroit, Detroit and Michigan to go. Um, they kind of started an assembly line, uh, a party, hmm. uh, like a political party. So yeah. uh, we'll see what that is. But uh, yeah, in four weeks, I'm sure they can cover everybody's bases. 
Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I do uh, uh, Bob Everhart. Uh, he's an uh, uh, old uh, Smithsonian uh, folkways recording artist. Has uh, had a festival for 40 years out in uh, Mars, Iowa, uh, called National Traditional Country and uh, probably just about every everything else uh, out there. And uh, he does that every uh, every year in August. Uh, and I've done uh, about four or five of those. Hmm, that's so cool. We'll be out there this year. Uh, uh, basically, nothing is amplified. Uh, you can stand in front of them on a microphone, but uh, that's about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so again, the the album is uh, Diamonds and Televisions, and we've been talking to Mike Felton. Uh, Mike, tell everybody how they can get in touch with you, find your music, uh, reach out if they want to. Send you a note or ask questions. What's the best way to get in touch and and um, and find your CDs? Okay, well, uh, you know, my website is uh, www.mikefelton.com. It's F-E-L-T-E-N. Uh, there's another uh, Mike Felton, F-E-L-T-O-N, but he's uh, Not that kind guy. of uh, <laughs> a young baseball player with uh, long blonde hair, okay. and he weighs about 195 pounds, <laughs> but... Uh, after that, that's where the similarities end. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you know it's not me. But, uh, um, yeah, com is uh, one place uh, uh, where you can find anything. I'm on Reverb Nation. Uh, uh, most of my stuff is up on Spotify, uh, CD Baby, all the usual suspect iTunes. Uh, and not that hard to get a hold of. Uh, um, you know, if you just uh, Google me or... Uh, uh, drop me an email. You can do that. Uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, everything should be on the website. Okay. And uh, on our Facebook, you can befriend me there too. So uh, great. Uh, <laughs> we're all over the place. Yeah. So. Or just invite me to your house. I'd be happy to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we do a house concert, right? <laughs> sure, yeah. that'd be great. Right. Well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate. It. Good talking to you today. Okay, sounds great. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Americana Music Profiles. Find us on iTunes at Americana Music Profiles and on the Internet at AmericanaRhythm.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.